this week on Missions Today. I think during COVID, when our show would go sometimes two or three hours, we started on those nights having people on with some encouraging news. And I would have guests on and sometimes they would pick a verse or we would put a verse up on the screen. And I thought, well, until Fox tells me to quit doing the Bible verses, we'll just keep doing it. And nobody ever said anything. And we found that people were very hungry and, and, and scared and looking for something to be reassuring that there is a bigger picture, a bigger plan, that there is someone who is a creator and you know, comforter and healer in the midst of all of this. What a great message to share in the midst of national struggles. In the midst of the nightly news, there's grown to be a bright spot on the television. While many talk about conservatism or morality, there's one news anchor that doesn't seem to flinch when it comes to sharing her faith. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. She was raised in the early days by a single mom whose growing faith and engagement with a local body of believers provided a safe and encouraging childhood for her. In later years, she attended college and law school, but probably is best known for her nightly program on Fox News, Fox News at Night. Shannon Bream, she's made no secret of her faith, and in recent years, through some tough national challenges, she's been letting that light shine. She's an anchor, a speaker, and now a New York Times best-selling author. Let's hear her story and a bit more of her heart of faith together. Shannon, welcome to Missions Today. So great to have you. Thank you for having me. Let's just start kind of with your early days. Tell me a little bit about you growing up. I, I understand you grew up in a household of faith. Tell me a little about that. I did. You know, my parents were really young when they got married and then re really young when they had me a couple of years later. But they eventually divorced when I was just a very young toddler. And my mom was a baby Christian at that time, kind of growing and learning in her own faith. And it was just the two of us for a while. But we were very much, uh, the church became our family. She took a job at a Christian school. And so that school and the church really became the center of our lives. And so as I was growing up, I had all kinds of friends and families and sort of aunts and uncles, if you would, um, through that church family. And I was hearing scripture all the time and I was being poured into. And my mom was, you know, becoming such a strong woman of faith. Um, she's the person I say I want to be when I grow up, only half joking. But she guided us through that time. And eventually, she met and married my wonderful stepdad. And it was just a house where faith was always the focus. Um, we were in church, I would say, every time the doors were open. But more importantly than that, during the week, it wasn't just a Sunday worship. It was an everyday worship in how we treated people, how we um, viewed them and our role as Christians and being the hands and feet of Christ. So um, a very good, solid foundation uh, and a blessing that I'm thankful for in my childhood. It's great to be able to uh, have a beginning like that and be surrounded by those kinds of people. How did how did your faith work itself out in, in the years after the, your childhood? I mean, uh, were you active with your faith during uh, high school, college? Did you have some ups and downs? What did that look like? Yeah, so I realized a way, at, as many people do at summer camp um, in middle school, that this, uh, I knew all these things about Jesus. I believed all these things about Jesus, but it wasn't just kind of coasting on my parents or anyone else's faith, but that I had to make a real choice and a commitment to Christ that I would accept his sacrifice for me on the cross as covering for my sins and that it would be a personal commitment and relationship in walking with Christ. And so I was very blessed in that uh, in middle school and high school, I had amazing youth groups, which I think makes such a difference for kids, for young people to have peers who are, you know, trying to live by the same convictions, people you can have fun with and do activities and go on trips. And it was just such a good 
community for me as a young person to have that. It was a huge blessing. I went off to college at Liberty University and there, of course, you're getting fed all the time too. But I can remember having, you know, real struggles as a college kid. I think you ask a lot of questions about what does this faith really mean? Do I only believe it because this is the home I was born into? And this is what my, my parents worship and what they adhere to. What do I believe about how the Bible came together and who God is and what God's word and what scripture means? And I think it was a great place to have all of those um, doubts and questions. And I think God respects those. He can handle our toughest questions and our deepest doubts. And I think he sees us as human beings and he meets us in those places and provides us people and circumstances to help us grow deeper in him and to find those answers we're looking for. So I've certainly had those times in my life where I felt like I questioned things, um, but God's always been faithful and never far away and always waiting for me um, to cling back to him. And he is, as we know, faithful even when we are struggling. I think most obviously people know you from Fox News, but before that you had your time at Liberty and you were focusing on business. Talk a little bit about what your dream was at that point or what you were thinking you were going to be doing as you uh, concluded and, and moved on from Liberty. Listen, I really loved the news business. I'm a current events junkie. And I really wanted to go into something with that. My dad did not think that was a real job. I think he saw it as like TV kind of showbiz to do TV news and journalism. And he only half jokingly said to me, you're going to law school or med school. So pick one. And, you know, I changed my major at least three times when I was at Liberty. But when I got into my business classes, I really enjoyed what I, I focused on, which was management, which was really looking at what motivates people, the psychology of motivation. And I really enjoyed that. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go on into a career in, in HR and working with employees and working internally um, in a company. Uh, and law school was right there around the corner for me. And I thought, okay, this is a great option for me. I think I'll learn a lot from that. I do enjoy politics and the inner workings of how laws come together and legislating. And so I went on to law school and focused on labor and employment law. And that's what I actually did when I was in practice. There was always that, you know, kind of dream pulling at me in the back of my mind about this passion about news and storytelling. And it kind of never got over that. So, um, you know, about four years into practice, I made the break and it was a long circuitous route to interning at a station and working, you know, my first job, 2 a.m., making coffee and answering phones, but so in love with the news business that I was grateful to be there. And I really just kind of learned from the ground up. Yeah. Having spent my entire life in media and, and you know that feeling, that passion for being mm -hmm. engaged in media, you'll do just about anything right. <laughs> to get in the door. And it sounds like you did. But but, you know, those are the times really that that we're our, our, our character. Our, our drive, our desire, our passion really often is formed is in some of those really tough, simple jobs at the beginning. But it's that hard work, I think, overall that pays off as time goes along. Well, we'll talk a bit about your uh, TV career before you got to Fox. I know you, there were several stops along the way. Talk about your progression through that. Yeah, so the very first place I interned in Tampa, Florida was a wonderful station. Um, it's a great market and there's plenty of news. And Florida at that time was in the middle of the 2000 recounts. Um, with a presidential election. So I was there at a really good time to kind of learn news and figure it out. And I had very kind people who were reporters, producers, photographers, who would let me shadow them and ask a million questions. And they didn't have to do that. I couldn't offer them anything in return, but they were kind. And one of the photographers in particular, I tried to buy him dinner one night and he said, I don't want anything, but that when you're in the position to turn around and help someone else, you will do that. And that stuck with me because it was such a kind thing and a great principle about um, you know, helping those behind you who need that that hand. I had so many people do that for me. So in that first job, I was 
was working overnights and writing and uh, started producing and taking on other jobs as people would leave and they needed someone to fill these gaps. And eventually my boss there said, if there's nobody else around and there's breaking news and we need to, we'll send you on something. So once in a while, I started to get to do things on camera and I would say to him, could you look at my work? Can you give me some feedback on my writing and on these pieces? And um, he was very encouraging and said, we're going to keep letting you do this and kind of try to see if you can find your way as a reporter. Well, not long after that, he and his boss, there was a big management change and we came in one day and they were gone and there was a new guy. And so a couple of weeks into him being there, he called me into his office on a Friday and said, and, and HR was sitting there, the head of HR. And I thought I'm getting promoted. And he was like, no, no, you're the worst person I have ever seen on TV. You will never make it in this business. I don't know who thought it was a good idea to put you on the air, but that's not going to happen anymore. And it was humiliating to be fired. It was very humbling. Um, and I went into one of those, thank goodness, you know, every radio and TV studio, TV studio in the world has a soundproof edit bay. And I locked myself in there and cried for a couple of hours. I was so embarrassed that I'd you know, blown up my legal career to go do what I believed was God calling me to follow this passion. And it was a really tough time for months. I couldn't get anybody to return an email or a phone call or to look at my, you know, back then it was a DVD that you would send of your work. And I remember only half jokingly saying to God at that point, I know that there are lessons in these really tough times where we're struggling and we feel lost and we feel disappointed and hurt. Um, if you could just tell me what I'm supposed to learn so we could sort of fast forward through the rest of this, that would be great. But it doesn't work that way. And I learned a lot in those those months of waiting and waiting that you can never love your job. It can never be more important to you than, than God's calling for you and your relationship with him. It's not going to love you back. And it's important to stay humble. So from there, I eventually got a job at a wonderful station in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was there for three years, learned so much from my coworkers and made lifelong friends. Got a call then to work at the NBC affiliate in Washington, and it was while I was working there at NBC4 um, here in Washington that I met Britt Hume, and that was my opening to end up at Fox. Wow, what an incredible route, and uh, what great lessons you learned in that time of challenge, and may we all learn those kind of lessons in, in those valleys that we face in our lives. Britt Hume, just a name, anybody that's familiar with Fox News and, and ABC News before that knows Britt Hume and what a, what a voice he has been for so long in, in the media. Tell me a little bit about him bringing you into or, or encouraging you to be part of the Fox team. So I had been trying as Fox was just exponentially growing in viewership and popularity to get in there. I thought, this is a fit for me. This is my place. And, you know, no response at all. They get, I'm sure, thousands of resumes and tapes and reels and all those things all the time every month. So I would try, but could never get any headway. And so my husband, who manages professional speakers, had actually booked Britt Hume for a speech at a big conference here in Washington. And my husband said, you got to go with me to this thing. We can sit in the green room. You can talk to Britt personally. And I thought, that sounds a little bit stalkerish, but I'll do it. And so luckily there were all kinds of crazy things that happened. But by the time we got there that, that morning, the program was backed up. So he was a little bit of a captive audience. And we talked uh, some, and my husband at one point piped up and said, Britt, I don't know if you know this, my wife works in local media here. She's a reporter and an anchor. And Britt looked at me and said, well, what do you want to do long-term? And it was that gut check moment where I looked at him and said, I want to come work for you at Fox News. And he said, yeah, I get that a lot. 
<laughs> so it was kind of this polite brush off. He was like, you know, send your stuff over. Everybody thinks they're ready for what we do or understand what we do. And I'm not sure it's right for most people. And, you know, send my stuff and I'll give you some professional feedback. So I was, I was glad I did it, but I was a little bit embarrassed. And so I decided to go for a walk um, around the venue while, you know, again, the speeches were waiting and backed up. And while I was gone, he starts having this conversation with my husband, Sheldon, and says, you know, what's your wife interested in? Does she like politics? Does she like covering that? And Sheldon said, yeah, when she was in law school at Florida State, where I grew up in Tallahassee, she actually worked in the Florida House of Representatives on kind of a work scholarship program. And Britt said she went to law school. Did she finish? And my husband said, yeah, she graduated with honors. She actually practiced law. And Britt said, do you think she would want to cover the U.S. Supreme Court for us? And my husband said, well, I don't want to speak for her, but I think she'd probably be very interested in that. So I didn't think gone five, 10 minutes at the most, and it felt kind of politely brushed off. And when I came in that room and came back, Britt literally said to me, when can you start? And I thought, what in the world happened in this room while I was gone? Um, and it was clearly God opening the door and kind of guiding that conversation at the right time in the right place. And I still had several months on my contract at NBC, and there was kind of a long and winding road, you know, praying and hoping that Fox wouldn't fill that job because it was an open position they needed to fill um, until the timing was right for me to go there. But thank God it was what he scripted. And so for this season of my life, yeah, I've been there 15 years. Wow. And and what a great Supreme Court reporter you have been. Uh, just fabulous. I mean, there I've never seen anybody cover the Supreme court like you have. And uh, I'll get to the Supreme Court in just a moment uh, as we move on through the conversation about Fox News. But as you went through this whole process and as you made these moves and you finally got to kind of that that goal of reaching Fox News, obviously we talked earlier a bit about your faith. Did you ever have direct thoughts, intentional thoughts about how do I incorporate faith and work? Was it just something that was a little more natural? How would you describe your relationship of faith and work? Yeah, for me, it's just natural because I feel like it's the most important thing in my life. It is what I try to start every day with and build my foundation um, and get myself ready for the day. And I think there was never any secret to people who work with me anywhere that I've worked um, that it's a really uh, the, the focus in the central part of my life. I mean, I feel really blessed that over the years I have people who will come to my office and say, I know that you pray. I know you're a religious person. I'm I'm struggling or my mom is sick or something's happening. Will you put them on your prayer list or however this works? Um, so they may not even be able to articulate what they think about my faith journey, but they know that it's there, that I am a sinner saved by grace every day. I pray for forgiveness. I, I have a lot of my own prayers and I'm happy to add them into what I'm doing. So I, I love that people feel like um, that's an open door for them. Now I have at times along the way, you know, based a little bit of hostility over that. Um, I, I once had a boss who isn't at Fox anymore um, for years and years ago um, say that I was too churchy and that I was too faith-driven and, and kind of um, a little bit too outspoken of that being my identity. And so, you know, that hurts to hear that, but I thought I'm not going to change that. I think God honors us. And there are people who've been through a much more like real life, you know, oppression because of their faith. And so, you know, if I have a, a boss who thinks I should never move up the chain because I'm quote too churchy, I think I can live with that. And, um, you know, God's been faithful in all of it. People may not know that you're also an author. Three books uh, and very successful books, Finding the Bright Side, The Art of Chasing What Matters, The Women of the Bible Speak, The Wisdom of 16 Women and Their Lessons for Today, and The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak, Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. And those have all done 
really, really well, even a New York Times bestseller list. I mean, uh, what has your thought been as you've kind of moved into the area of authorship and the people's response to that? So as the book came together, I loved the research process. I know these stories. I was one class short of a theology minor at Liberty, and I was in a home that, you know, we were always in the scripture. So I knew them, but my goodness, when I really started to dig into these stories, I was humbled about how much I didn't know. And it was a joyful thing, a blessing to me, especially writing during COVID, which was such an anxious, scary time, um, to be able to be digging into these stories and see God's faithfulness woven through. And even in the really tough stuff and in the people who made horrible decisions, how God worked through them and they ended up, many of them in the lineage of Christ. And I found it to be just an encouraging process. I, I, I wish that I had more time when I'm writing, always juggling that with work is, is tricky. Um, but I so enjoy the research process and feeling like I get to know these women in a totally different way. And I hope that readers feel that too. Like these women are relatable. Like, I, yes, they lived thousands of years ago, but I can relate to the struggle, whether it's infertility or widowhood or financial or physical trauma, even sex assault. I mean, these things are all in the Bible. And I think that we as a church should be um, there encouraging and caring for women. We're called to do that. And so I don't think any of us had any idea that people would connect the way that they have with these books, but it's a huge blessing. And I pray over every book that, you know, whoever's hands it winds up in, whether they buy it or it's shared or it's a gift that whether they know uh, God, it would draw them closer. And if they don't, that they would come to know him through these books. Uh, who would be a couple of the women that really stood out to you in doing the research and putting the books together? Maybe a couple of names that uh, people would be familiar with and, and why they stood out to you. I think the story of Esther is such a beautiful, encouraging story. And it's been the subject of much study in movies and everything else. But I think it teaches us so many lessons. Um, she obviously was put in a place through God's divine um, leading and intervention so that that when it was time for the Jewish people to essentially be exterminated through the kingdom of Persia, she was there for such a time as this, as her, you know, Mordecai who helped raise her after she was orphaned said to her um, that she was in perfect position to stand up and to be brave and risk her own life to go to the king on behalf of the Jewish people and wind up saving them. But it's important to remember, she even had a moment of hesitation in her story where when Mordecai and the word got to her about what was happening, this decree that had gone out to exterminate the Jewish people, that she was afraid. She knew to go to the king unbidden, unrequested by him, could you could be killed on the spot. He clearly had um, great affection for her. We see that throughout their story, but she was taking a risk. And she said to Mordecai, have everybody fast for three days. I and my people here in the palace are going to do that too. So I think we see so many things there about, you know, we're all going to be confronted with things that call on us for courage and bravery. Um, even our some of our greatest biblical heroes like Esther have that moment of hesitation, but then call on things like fasting or prayer and community to help walk us through and give us the courage and the discernment from God that we need in those moments. So there's just so much richness in her story and so many twists and turns that I think it's one of the most fascinating tales in all of the Bible. You know, in the New Testament, I've always really been so moved by the story of the woman who we don't even know her name. She's in multiple gospels though, and had this um, 12 years of bleeding and this illness that when we meet her, she's penniless. She had spent everything she had trying to find a cure, had not been cured, had been wiped out financially and was still sick. And she hears about Jesus. She has this decision in her mind. If I could just get to touch the hem of his garments, that's all I need. 
this man, this, you know, whatever she believed about him, that's going to be enough to heal me. And I found in researching the book that she would have probably been considered unclean, meaning she couldn't have been around other people. She shouldn't have been in the markets or in the temple or any of these places where people would gather. So she kind of broke all the rules and went and found Jesus where crowds were always pressing in at that point in his ministry, wanting their own miracles. And she touched the hem of his garment. We're told in the gospel, she's immediately healed. But Jesus also knows that power has gone out from him and something has happened. And he turns around um, and says, you know, who's touched me essentially. And in every one of these accounts, we're told that she falls before him in fear and in trembling because she's busted. She knows that this man is divine and that he is now the son of God. He has healed her and that he's certainly going to know her. And we're told that she pours out her story to him. And rather than condemning her for breaking the rules of the day, as he often did, in every account, the first thing he says to her is daughter. And he praises her. He says, your faith has made you whole. And he praised what she did in reaching out to him um, and breaking through all of the other traditions or obstacles of the day to do it. And I've always loved her story and the fact that he had such compassion on her, telegraphing not only to her, but to anybody else who knew her or to her story that she had done the right thing. And you know, those 12 years of suffering, I, I don't think were wasted because for her to go back to her community and everybody to know every struggle that she had had to be completely healed only spoke then to the divinity of Christ and who he really was. Women of the Bible speak and mothers and daughters of the Bible speak. Uh, be sure to uh, check the program notes. We'll link you to that in the program notes so that you can uh, find those directly because I know that they are impactful as the stories that Shannon has just shared have been. Uh, Shannon, as we come to our final moments here, I'm thinking of recent coverage that, that your network and all the other networks have been engaged in, and that was the invasion of Ukraine by Russia still going on, still happening now. And boy, has, has the coverage just been fantastic. Uh, so many people, uh, reporters, even yours, putting their, their lives on the line to bring the stories. But I was just so impressed and so uh, moved by especially in the early days, the efforts that you had in not only bringing on ministries that were doing work on the ground there to help people, but night after night, you would put on the screen verses of scripture straight out of the Bible. That's just not something we see very much in the media. And it's, I think, it believe, I believe it says something about you and your relationship. It has to, in my mind, with your producers and with your company that they would give you that freedom to be able to do that. That is not something you see regularly in the news. Talk for a moment about bringing your faith to a story like that and, and uh, what it's meant to you to be able to do that. It is very unusual. I think during COVID, when our show would go sometimes two or three hours, we started on those nights having people on with some encouraging news. And I would have guests on and sometimes they would pick a verse or we would put a verse up on the screen. And I thought, well, until Fox tells me to quit doing the Bible verses, we'll just keep doing it. And nobody ever said anything. And we found that people were very hungry and, and, and scared and looking for something to be reassuring that there is a bigger picture, a bigger plan, that there is someone who is a creator and, you know, comforter and healer in the midst of all of this. So, you know, that's kind of stayed woven through the show as difficult things have come up. And it was our pleasure and our honor to highlight these ministries and missionaries and people who've already been active in that region, how they were then leveraging everything they could do all the churches, the pastors, the relationships they already had there to begin to help when Ukraine was falling apart. And, and women were literally grabbing their babies and going on the run to try to get to safety while the men stayed there 
vowing to fight and give their very lives to try to repel this invasion. So it's been a blessing for us to get to know people who were already doing work in that region and for us to just get a chance to highlight it. I do have an executive producer who is a believer as well and many people on my staff. So it, it just, for us, it, it makes sense to try to be a bit of light and a bit of hope. Um, Kevin Cork, who was on the show with me too, is a believer. And so he's all about sharing verses and hope. And we have these hopeful stories at the end of the show every night. So we feel a great responsibility, but hopefully that is an encouragement to people wherever they are in their faith journey. If they're seeking, um, if they just need some comfort for the night before they go to bed, because we're the last show of the night, we hope that that message and um, Christ's love reaches them. Finally, you've said it's uh, been kind of a natural thing for you to integrate your faith and work. For someone who's listening today has enjoyed your work and enjoyed seeing your faith portrayed uh, throughout your career, but they maybe are hesitant or they're, they're wondering, how can I share? How can I engage my faith and my work? Maybe just a thought for them, a word of encouragement to them about that intersection of faith and work. Just simply by living your life as a Christian, we are called to a different standard. And I think the way that we respect and care for people, whether we agree or disagree with them, I think people can see all of that in our lives and the way that we step up and help when there is a crisis or a tragedy in their lives. I think all of that is communicating a witness and communicating Christ's love. And there may be times you feel comfortable that there's an appropriate situation to invite someone to church or to, especially for you know Christmas or Easter or something special or a way that's a natural way to share your faith. But I don't think people should feel that they have to be in an active pastoral or missionary kind of mission to be reaching people and to be kind and ministering to them in a way that communicates Christ's love when they may need it the very most. I think that's very powerful. Powerful. Shannon's talking about living out your faith practically, every day in every way. It sort of reminds me of the old children's song, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And shine it does on Fox News at night. My thanks to Shannon for stopping by today. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Next week, we're going to talk to a man who's seeking to share the love of Christ in a place where the culture rarely seems interested. That's southern Spain. You know, it'd be so helpful if you'd subscribe to the podcast, rate it, share it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback from me, I want to hear from you. Email me, clambert at missionstoday.com. And be sure to follow our Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. I'm Colin Lambert. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.